Good morning. How's everybody doing? Wasn't that the cutest ever uh, in the loop? Yes. <laughs> Solidarity is a really beautiful um, demonstration to me of many standing with one, of one standing with many. Um, the Middletown High School football team won the state championship. It was a three-peat for them. Yay! But you know, um, one of the things you may saw in the paper was before the game, the players cut their hair mohawk style to sort of be in solidarity with one another before the game. You've seen like the Olympic swim teams, you know, where the guys, the team shaves themselves. And it's not only to get faster time in the water, but also to be in solidarity. You know, we're a team, we're the U.S. Olympic swimmers. You'll see this happen with the NFL, the players will wear, you know, pink uh, shoes and other apparel in solidarity with breast cancer awareness, which is a beautiful thing. And get, you know, give away the sell the shoes. Many now are standing in solidarity with Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, who um, made some unfiltered but controversial comments. But we live in a land of freedom of speech, of freedom of religion. And so I encourage you to stand with Phil. He's a brother in Christ. And I happen to like Duck Dynasty too, so it's very useful in my recovery to watch Duck Dynasties. We're, <laughs> we're in, an, in a series entitled Incarnation. Uh, the Advent, which means the coming. So we're kind of ramping up to Christmas, which is only three days away. Last week, we looked at the promise of the incarnation when focused on the humanity of Christ out of Isaiah chapter 9. This week, we look at the power of the incarnation from Hebrews chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Hebrews 2 and verse 14. We'll mainly camp through this sermon. In uh, two days on Christmas Eve, believe that Christmas Eve is two days away, we're going to meet here at 4 and 6 and talk about the peace involved with the incarnation. So it's a great service to bring your family and friends. I hope you all can load it up. We can celebrate together. So our structure is very, very simple for those who like the structure of a message. We're going to talk about we are human with limitations and temptations. That Christ stepped into humanity, became human. And then we're going to talk about why he came into humanity to liberate us, to, to taste the death in order that we might taste freedom. Okay. So let's begin Hebrews 2. I'll open up with you. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. And read this passage that has so much power involved with it. I hope you'll memorize these words. It says, since the children, that's us, right, living in mortality, have flesh and blood. That's speaking to our humanity. He, that's Jesus, coming out of immortality into mortality, coming from being God to becoming man, he too shared in our humanity. Why? So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. We're going to talk about liberation. So let's go first of all into the first point of humanity, that we are human. Since his children have flesh and blood, this is another way of saying that we are human. We live inside bodies with temptations and limitations. I was talking to somebody working outside recently. It was on one of those cold, blustery days. And I said, are you staying warm? And um, she was all bundled up. And she said, you know, I, lay, I put layer upon layer upon myself, but I just can't stay warm. That's part of our humanity, that we would get cold, we shiver, 
right? And we have to put on clothes. I was, we live in bodies with limitations. I was talking to a guy who was just sensing the extra fullness of the season. Somebody, he was saying to me, you know, I just feel extra tired this part of the year. And I said, you know, we all need to slow down and decompress and give ourselves some time off. So I really do hope that over the Christmas holidays, you can have some slower days and just unwind and decompress and just um, revive yourself. I mean, speaking of energy, you know, uh, we all operate with different levels of energy. Uh, my wife, Debbie, operates with a high level of energy, especially in regard to parties. She can do a party after a party after a party. Now, I'm the kind of person who likes to know when the party begins and when the party ends. And I like to know actually who's coming to the party. <laughs> so for me, like, I just can't keep up with your girlfriend. You just, she just likes to go hard into parties. Um, we have to begin to address and discern our limitations as human beings. One of the ways we discern our limitations is to know what season of life we are in. Your season of life is a God-given limit. Uh, Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for everything and a season for everything under heaven. You could be a student, and we welcome back all of our students. Yes. The students are back. Yes. Now, students intensely, you know, preparing themselves for the future. You know, study. The definition of student is one who studies. That's true, right? They study. So I call being a student the season of affliction. <laughs> because there's many afflictions upon a student. But we're glad you're back. You can be home and get some rest. It's a time of growth. Uh, you could be a mom. And this is your season of having lots of little kids around the house, right? Pouring into them, investing in their lives. My daughter-in-law, Rachel, who's expecting... I said, what lessons are you learning, Rachel, in your pregnancy? She's about halfway. She said, I'm learning that my body is not my own. I get to house another human being. Isn't that beautiful? That my body is not my own. I get to house another human being inside. Well, those kids do grow up, believe it or not. And then you enter into another season of life called empty nesting. And so Debbie and I now are officially empty nesters. But one of our birds flew back you know, this week, and Josh is home. So we're glad to have Josh home. Yay for Josh. <laughs> you could be in a, a season of dealing with health crisis. You know, your life is filled with hospitals and doctor's appointments and PT and recovery, just passing through a season like that in my life. I heard recently about a woman whose name was Katie Fisher. She's 17, and she's battling Burkitt's lymphoma, a fast-growing malignancy uh, since this February, months of hospitalization, numerous rounds of chemotherapy, and unrelenting pain. She um, lives on a farm, and her ewe gave birth to several lambs. And so she took the lamb, her lamb, to the auction. And she expected that the lamb would yield maybe $2 a pound. What happened was the auctioneer announced the predicament that Katie was in. And so they began to, you know, bid on her lamb. And somebody bought her lamb. And then he gave the lamb back to her. And the auctioneer said, resell. And so they auctioned it again. 
And it ended up that the lamb was sold 36 times. And the final person who purchased the lamb gave the lamb back to Katie plus $16,000. And I thought, here is humanity at its best. Seeing a need, stepping into it, and showing generosity. It's critical, however, when we talk about seasons we're in, not to judge somebody else's season, because they could be in a winter season, you could be in summer or spring, and not to impose our season on somebody else. Another way to discern um, our season is to look at what life situation we are in. When we're young, we can um, push ourselves pretty hard. But as we get older physically, our bodies can't do what they once did. Who can say amen? amen? Yes, that's true. So I was talking to my son Chris about the season of life he's in. He's 28. He's an ER doctor, works at UAB. And he said, you know, Dad, there will come a point in my life when I won't be able to do nights. Because right now he'll do 14 hours in the ER and then two hours write up the reports of what happened in the ER. And he says, there's just going to come a day when I just won't be able to do that anymore. Maturity could be seen as joyfully living within the limits of the season of our life. Do you like that? Joyfully living within the season I am in. <laughs> we all have limitations. We all have temptations. Uh, recently, when the snow fell, one of my neighbors called the house and said, can R help us with the snowblower? The snowblower isn't starting. Can Pastor R come over and help us get it started? Now, if you knew me, you wouldn't ask the question. <laughs> not because I'm not willing, it's just I'm not able. Pastor R would do much more damage to that snowblower than he would do to help it to begin to run. Though I may be tempted to say, sure, I'll be over, but, you know, there'll be parts on the ground and nothing making sense to me. So, so what I'm trying to say is we all have limitations and temptations within our humanity. Thursday, I was able to be with Debbie's ESL class over at uh, Monroe Center. And I met her students from Guatemala and El Salvador, from Mexico, Cameroon, Burma, Vietnam. You know, the neighborhood is radically changing. God is sending to us the nations. And one of the big hits of the party was Pampusa, which comes from Guatemala. If you ever get your hands on Pampusa, definitely get some of that Pampusa. It is amazing. Okay. And uh, another student brought in this cooler full of, you know, drinks, water and sodas and stuff like that. So basically everybody got a piece of Pampusa and a drink, you know, to enjoy at this Christmas party. I learned from talking to the students that many of them work in restaurants. So they have such very little, you know, they clean up or they cook. And so this generosity was just touching me in a very deep place that they were offering me pampusa and a drink. And then the other ESL class was invited to come. And some of the members of that class were taking like three drinks, you know, and stuffing their pockets and taking them pampusa and kind of loading up their book packs. And there I saw sort of taking advantage, kind of the worst side of humanity. So Debbie's planning to have a little lesson on manners <laughs> when she comes back to class. Yeah, she's nodding in agreement. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. We're all in a season of life, right? 
And I've learned in the really tough season, like the winter of our life, not to ask the question, you know, why? But what, God, are you preparing me for? You see, God does some awesome things in the winter of the year. I mean, he allows those nutrients in the ground to rejuvenate. He allows those seeds to lie dormant, but they're going to germinate. He's going to burst forth into spring. You see, winter only lasts for a little while. But wherever there's winter, there always comes spring. So we're going to bring back now a couple in our church that was dealing with a serious winter season of their life, the Houstons. We're going to roll the tape now of their story. My name is Maria Houston. Hello, my name is Joseph Houston. This is my daughter, Leah. And she'll be turning two at the end of September. It was easy to let my fear spiral out of control whenever I was pregnant. Um, I've always been nervous about, about the future, and so this was a, a big deal. So every night we would pray over my belly, and we would just ask the Lord to protect her. And about four months, after she was born, we noticed that she was only moving her left arm. And there were just a couple other things that were kind of making me nervous, too. Her eyes didn't close at the same rate. She only turned her head to the left. Um, just little things like that that I just knew wasn't quite um, typical for a kid. I took her to the doctor, the pediatrician, and she was quite concerned. And then she stood her up and um, she wasn't putting any weight on her right leg as well. And we just had this epiphany that the whole right side of her body was weaker than the left. And that kind of began um, our new life. So the doctors told us that during the second or third trimester of my pregnancy, a blood clot formed in Leah's body and went to her brain and caused a stroke. And that was what was causing the right-sided weakness. I believe in a sovereign God that makes um, decisions in your life and that you can trust and rely on and that he's in control of our lives. And um, to be able to rationalize how I prayed for protection and how he let this happen was really hard for my faith. How can I trust a God that would let something this tragic happen to my child? I'm grateful that, that the Lord saved her. You know, she could have, this stroke could have taken her life, but it didn't. And so I was so, I, I think I held on to that. I think that really helped me um, get through the initial shock. In one of my rants to God, he silenced my anger by saying, I made her exactly the way I wanted her to be, and I love her more than you will ever know. This has been such a huge thing that I feel like I can no longer worry because all of my biggest worries came true and I've realized that the Lord is there, that when you are up against your biggest fear and the Lord shows up, um, that's a huge thing. And you realize that um, 
just realize that the Lord's hand is on our life. And where I worried about, you know, would she be able to do ballet and play and do things like, you know, other kids, the Lord is showing me that life is so much bigger than that. And that um, the character that he is creating in her um, is so much greater than the ability to take a dance class. I feel like the lessons that he's teaching her and me are so great that I wouldn't want to take that away from her, you know, so that she could take a dance class. I once longed for her to be typical. I'm realizing now that God is creating someone for his purposes and that he's creating a wonderful person um, that he will use for his glory. She is who God wanted her to be in that I get to watch her evolve into who that is. Today is Leah's first day of walking by herself. We prayed for this day for many months. Um, she's 21 months old, and um, it's a day that we are so excited about because the Lord has provided um, in so many ways for us. And we're so proud of Leah and her walking. There's great freedom in seeing your biggest worry that you have come to life, you know, and mine was my daughter, something wrong happening to my daughter. He never promises us a life that is free from, you know, problems or heartaches. In fact, he actually says that we will, you know, have those things, but he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. I feel like now, if other worries were to come true, I feel like I can, I know that he would be there. Whereas before, I just felt so overcome by the worry that now I'm like, well, if that were to happen, God's going to be there for us. The Lord has shown us that if he doesn't protect us from the storm, he gives us the faith to walk through it. So God allows us to struggle and to wrestle with our own humanity and our own questions. But one of the coolest things I want to tell you about was last, um, last week, Leah was here, her dad was playing the bass violin, and she was dancing, and she was clapping. And me and my winter was feeling like spring and summer. It was sweet. So yeah, God is at work in that family, and God's at work in your life too. So what season are you in? What season are you living through right now? Maybe a good thing to talk about over lunch is the season you're living in right now. So we're human. And, Jesus, and with human, with limitations and temptations. And Jesus became human. Before Jesus was born, he had no limitations, no temptations. But in his humanity, he faced limitations and temptations. Jesus entering into humanity, he became one of us. God who is everywhere on the present became God who is somewhere inside Mary's womb. God who is all-knowing, omniscient, was a God who had to learn to by studying and asking questions. God who is all-powerful, omnipotent, he felt power going out of his body. Let me illustrate. There was a time when Jesus was going to a man named Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And there was a woman, and she'd suffered very much over the years, for 12 years, with an issue of blood. And she was in this crowded place, and she believed that if she only touched the hem of Jesus' body, 
she'd be made well. So she's kind of embarrassed and ashamed of herself. She just knelt down and touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus felt power going out of his body. You see, God, being all-powerful, does not lose power. But Jesus and his humanity felt power going out from him. Secondly, he asked, who touched me? Now, being God, he knows all things. But when he stepped into humanity, it seemed as if he was clueless as to who had touched him, what her name was. Because Jesus had something very important to say to her. He would say to her, my daughter, that you are my daughter. There's a room, there's a seat for you at my table, and I love you very much. Then he said to her, be freed from your suffering, that God has power over disease and illness and death. And Jesus took power over that affliction of hers. And then he said to her, go in peace. For the first time in 12 years of her life, she experienced peace because she had the peace of God in her heart. You see, God, the Word, was becoming flesh. The Word was moving into our neighborhood. God began camping out in our campground, as it were. And just as we have seasons to our life, so Jesus had a season, had seasons to his life. Jesus had a mother whose name was Mary, and she was engaged, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Mary was about 14 years old when the angel appeared to her. Today, um, she would have been posting her status on Facebook. Today, she would have registered at Bat Bath, Bed, and Beyond. Did I say that right? Bed, Bath, and Beyond. That's where she would register. She would have been um, trying out her own wedding dresses. Uh, <laughs> she might have even been doing bridal boot camp to get herself in shape. But Mary, for some, has become an object of faith. But I want to say that Mary is an awesome example of faith. Here was a young woman living by faith, keeping herself pure, waiting until her wedding day, not moving in with her boyfriend. Now, I want to say to all who have crossed over those lines that Jesus has the power to forgive. The very son that Mary would give birth to would be a deliverer. And when we confess our sins to him, he wipes them clean. He moves them as far as east is from west. He gives us a new beginning. So Mary provides for us this amazing example of faith. Imagine the problems, the obstacles Mary would deal with. She had to be asked the question, are you willing to let your life be changed? Are you willing to do with all the problems of becoming pregnant? Can you imagine the conversation she had with her parents? Mom, dad, guess what? What? I'm pregnant. What? Joseph, guess what? I'm pregnant. What? I'm sure that there was a lot of rumors circulating around town that Mary was the talk of town. In one of the most beautiful expressions of faith, of submission, of surrender in the entire Bible, the angel said to her, in effect, Mary, if you say yes to God, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And if you say yes to God, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Mary, if you say yes to God, 
You become the mother of God. And listen to what Mary said. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done unto me as you have said. This is called the prayer of surrender. It is to say, God, I want your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I, as a human being, want to do your will. You see, Joseph was also posed with the conflict. He thought about putting away Mary. But an angel spoke to him also about not being afraid of taking Mary as his wife. For what's in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. His name will be called Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. What you find then is in Mary and Joseph, a surrendered will to the will of God. They were willing to have their lives being changed in order to be the parents of Christ. So when Jesus himself in his humanity was challenged at the Garden of Gethsemane, there he saw the cup with all of mankind's sin inside that cup. And he said, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but your will. Where had Jesus learned to surrender to the will of God? He saw it in his mother and his father. And then from the cross itself, Jesus bearing the sins of mankind said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He surrendered himself into the very will of God. I heard about a fire up in New Jersey recently. It was a fire in the middle of the night. The mother and the father, the children all escaped from the fire. But the oldest son went back. There was something he wanted to recover from the house. And the fire was so hot that no family member went after him and no fireman dared go inside the house. But soon the son appeared in a second story window. And the father said to him, jump, son, jump, jump to me. And the son said, I can't. With all this fire and smoke, I can't see you. And the father said, jump. Even though you can't see me, I can see you. And therein lies the essence of the human condition. We may be surrounded with so much chaos and smoke and fire and difficulty we can't see the Father. The Father seems very far from us. But he sees us. And he invites us to jump into his waiting arms. You may be passing through a season of chaos. And the Father says, jump, jump into my arms. You may be passing through a season of disability, unemployment. And the father says, trust me, jump into my arms and I will provide for you in ways you can never imagine. You may be passing through a season of loneliness and just feel as if you're just trudging through this earth. And the father says, jump, jump unto me, come unto me, Jesus said. All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. <sighs> You've got to believe that God is there. He wants you to jump into his arms and find safety and rest, even when you can't see him. Jesus, we are human. We have limitations and temptations. We have seasons of our life. Jesus stepped 
into humanity, but the question is why? Why would Jesus become one of us? Well, the answer is found in the next phrase. So that by his death. You see, by his death takes us back in Hebrews to chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, but there is a place where someone has testified. Now, for those of you who can't find your Bible references, this is a reference you need to hold on to, Hebrews 2.6. Because the writer says here, there is a place where someone has testified. He can't remember the writer or the reference, but he's testifying that somewhere in the Bible this is true. Okay? <laughs> thought you'd like that. <laughs> then he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What are we that God who created everything, who flung the stars into being, knows them all by name. What are we that God is mindful of us? That he knows what's going on in our life. He knows the burdens that we carry. This last week, a friend of mine said to me, I want you to bring me your car. Your car needs some love. It needs to be cleaned up. And I said to him, when you take it, just look it over and see if there's anything you see that's wrong with it. And when he examined the car, he found that the two ball bearings in the axle were very weakened, ready to break. He said, or that could have been a very serious accident. And I thought, what am I that God is mindful of me? That God is looking out for me? That God's seeing what may happen and he's acting on my behalf? The son of man, that you care for him, that God cares for us. We're told to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. That God cares for you. And God knows the season you're passing through. You made him a little lower than the angels. He's talking about us. You see, when we came into being, when we were born, we were born underneath the angels. The angels are above us. And you crowned him with glory and honor. We are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. God crowned us with glory and honor. We're the highest, the apex of God's creation. And put everything under his feet. God intended for us to rule like kings and queens and have dominion over the earth, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field. God intended for us to rule. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, it says, we do not see everything subject to him. And we all say amen, right? We do not see everything subject to us. We have cats that are indifferent to us. We, <laughs> we have dogs to whom we give commands who don't listen to us. We have this dog named Schnick who's getting on his 12th year. And he likes these little greenies. And Schnick will do about anything for a greenie. It um, makes him feel like a puppy. But overall, Schnick basically doesn't obey. He skipped obedience school. So we don't see everything subject unto us. You know, when Jesus went fishing, St. Peter fishing, he found a fish with a coin inside to pay the tax. I've been many fishing many times, and the fish haven't come to me. You see, everything is not subject unto me. But look at verse 9. Do you see it? But we see Jesus. What I want you to see this morning 
is the person of Jesus as to who Jesus Christ really is, who was made a little lower than the angels. You see, Jesus was far above the angels. Jesus was on a throne in heaven. The angels bow down to him. When he brings his firstborn in the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. And the angels there, when he was born, said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. But we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. He's making a reference there to the incarnation when he was made lower than the angels, but now to his ascension when he's been crowned with glory and honor. Philippians says it like this. God, Jesus who exists in the very form of God, did not think that equality with God was something to be grasped. So he emptied himself. He made himself as nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He appeared in the appearance of a man. And then he became obedient. Obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him. And now God has crowned him with glory and honor. He has a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the, in heaven, on earth, and beneath the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, why did the Father give to him glory and honor? Because, you see it in verse 9, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus Christ, born in a cradle, was born in the shadow of the cross. That by the grace of God, he might conquer our greatest enemy, even death itself. Our enemy has been conquered. Death has been vanquished. We don't have to fear death anymore because Jesus Christ took our place in death. It's called the substitutionary atonement. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. When we believe our sin is transferred to Jesus and his righteousness is transferred to us, that now we've tasted the grace of God. You see, he tasted death that we might taste freedom. Look at verse 14. So... By his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Do you see the devil at work in our world? The violence that is spreading. The hatred. The neighborhoods that are in the darkness. We see the devil's work dividing people, luring people, um, tempting people into sin, holding them captive, becoming slaves to sin, becoming fearful of death. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. I was, um, I learned of a missionary that when he um, 
was traveling. He was traveling down a road, and there on the road was a very large snake, like a boa constrictor, about 10 feet long. And so he stopped his vehicle and with great trepidation began moving toward the snake because he knew that he could make no forward progress unless the snake were taken out of the road. So he got out of his vehicle, began walking to the snake, and noticed there was no movement in the snake. You see, somebody had come before him and basically crushed the head of the snake. The power of the snake was broken. The snake was rendered inoperable. That snake that was crushed had no power over him. And when Jesus Christ came to earth, he came to destroy the work of the devil. He appeared to crush the head of Satan. He rendered him inoperable. He has no power over us. You see, Jesus has power over the enemy. And Jesus has crushed the power of the enemy. And there's an authority that Jesus Christ has. And he gives that authority to us in Jesus' name over the power of the enemy. The enemy may try to lure us into a fear of death, but Jesus has broken the power of death. This is what he said. He said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living. I was once dead, but I am alive forever and ever and hold the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus wants to set us free from everything that we become afraid of. And our greatest fear is the fear of death. So I ask the question, why is it that we fear death? Well, from a first-hand experience, okay, having come very close to death, I think there's four things we fear about death. The first is we fear the pain of death. Pain is the friend that nobody wants. Um, pain is the friend who stays longer than we want him to stay. And we wonder, can we endure the pain? Honestly, I wonder, can I endure the pain I am in? The second thing about death is we fear the separation from those people we love. We get attached to people we love. And I am very attached to you and very attached to my family and wasn't ready to part. The third is we have a fear of the unknown, like sailing out on waters we've never traveled on before. And third, there is the fear of punishment or condemnation. Now, except for the matter of physical pain and the leaving behind people we love, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to be paralyzed by the cobra's snare. We don't have to be held in slavery anymore. Because just as it's real that you're human, it's also real that Jesus became human, and he became human to taste death, that you might taste freedom. God wants you to be free. He does not want you to be a slave anymore to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So the reason he came was to set you free. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has appointed me to set the captives free. And we are the captives. And he sets us free by his death, by his love. That's how much he loves you. 
He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to live in fear anymore. He wants you to be free. He wants to do a beautiful thing in your life. So God takes dust and he does something beautiful. He makes us. And then God takes the cross and he does something even more beautiful. He liberates us from all of our fears. Would you pray with me? Father, here we are on a Sunday morning. It's almost Christmas. We uh, have so many questions. We wrestle with so many things, Lord, in our humanity. And every person here is in a season. And there's questions that they have. And you allow us to wrestle with humanity. And you understand humanity completely well having become one of us. You are a faithful and merciful high priest. You understand what it feels like to be tempted. You understand what it feels like to have limitations. You, have, you understand what it feels like to go through seasons. But God, you want to do something really beautiful inside of us. You want to set your people free. So this morning I pray in the powerful name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if there's any bondage the enemy has held us captive in, that we might be set free, that we might sing the song of freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And for freedom, Christ came to set his children free. Set us free, Lord, from whatever is holding us captive. We ask in Jesus' name.